So I had this revelation yesterday when I was at my therapist's office doing my session. And I've had struggles with sleep for most of my life, my entire life, really. And I just have this really bad habit sometimes of not wanting to go to sleep at a reasonable time. I like to stay up late and binge on TV and oftentimes I'll pass out, I'll fall asleep while I'm watching or uh, television. And I don't really know why. I didn't really question it that much until recently. Um, actually, my wife Becky's been like getting really upset with me about it lately because it was like really driving her nuts too because I'm not at 100% when I'm awake because I'm kind of sleep deprived and I'm not really performing at the best that I probably could if I were getting good sleep. And this realization that I had yesterday was that in my 30s uh, when I was uh, doing therapy, because I've been in therapy for like 10 years now, um, in my 30s I was dealing with a lot of my conscious behavior things I was doing uh, on purpose uh, or knowingly that I was just trying to control and improve on and be healthy about and now that I'm 41 years old uh, I'm trying to I'm realizing that I'm continuing with therapy now because I want to be better in my subconscious I want to be healthier in my subconscious because there's a lot of subconscious habits and behaviors that I do, that I engage in, that uh, I'm not fully aware of. And I don't really know where a lot of my behavior or habits come from. And I'm realizing more and more that a lot of these subconscious behaviors that I have are a result of past hurt, mistakes, or regrets from from my history. I think this is something that we can all relate with in one way or another, is like having this history, this past, that uh, haunts us in more ways than we realize, more, in more ways than we are aware. Now specifically with this habit, this bad habit that I have of sleeping late and um, falling asleep on the couch and binging on TV late at night uh, a lot of it is like deep rooted from my childhood because when I was a kid uh, my dad would often come home drunk because uh, he had a severe drinking problem and he and my mom would often get into fights like after I would go to sleep um, almost every night and so it, 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 I almost always woke up in the middle of the night um, hearing them screaming or yelling at each other in the next room. And oftentimes my dad or mom would wake us up, would come into our bedroom and wake us up and uh, kind of involve us in, in the fight. And so going, to, I never really had a bedtime routine and going to sleep was never really a peaceful situation for me it always caused a lot of anxiety for me and um, I never really looked forward to going to sleep at night uh, I would just fall asleep when I'm just too exhausted to to stay up and I think a lot of us like struggle with these like subconscious behaviors that are rooted in some sort of past 
that we don't really realize why or how we deal with these things. And this is exactly the situation that we just read about in John chapter 4. Now, this story uh, in John chapter 4 is kind of a well-known story of when Jesus Christ encountered this woman. We don't even know her name, but we do know a few things about her, okay? Uh, is that, and this encounter that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman is really well-known, but it's also very unique. Here are some of the unique aspects of this interaction. It is the longest documented conversation that Jesus had with anyone in the Bible, all right? Um, now, that doesn't mean he didn't have longer conversations, but for some reason, this conversation with the Samaritan woman is the longest documented conversation that we have in the Bible. And the fact that the Bible set aside such a significant chunk of verses to this relatively unknown woman is really, really intriguing. And even though it was a long dialogue between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, um, we don't really know all that much about her besides what Jesus says about her. Also, Jesus was very intentional about um, speaking to this woman privately. Okay? Jesus spoke to her one-on-one, -on -one, um, and you know, he, he intentionally wanted to do this away from his disciples to kind of protect her privacy. And it's likely because he didn't want even his disciples to listen in on some of these intimate details that he revealed about her, uh, about her past life. And, um, you know, even though his disciples were, uh, are really revered, especially in, in Christian history, you know, they're still flawed human beings and can be prone to being judgmental sometimes. And it wasn't really appropriate for a Jewish rabbi like Jesus to be talking with a Samaritan woman, which I'll get into that a little bit more later. Now, I used to think that Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman was really interesting because uh, she was so different. Uh, it seemed like Jesus sought out this Samaritan woman precisely because she was different. But the more and more I look at this interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, uh, the more I realize that she is very similar to us in many ways, uh, more than we might initially presume. So the fact that this woman is similar to us in many ways makes this interaction even more interesting. Um, and the Samaritan woman was definitely trying to hide something about herself okay uh, one of the first things that you might notice about this interaction is that the samaritan woman went to the well uh, to get water um, in the middle of the day all right um, now the well was uh, not directly in the town of samaria where she lived okay it was kind of a, a walk away from the town and she went to get water in the middle of the day uh, when the weather is the hottest and nobody else is there getting water okay the most common most popular times to get water uh, would be like at dusk or at dawn okay when right when the sun is coming up or right when the sun is going down when the weather cools down and um, you know the walk to the well which was a little bit of a distance away from the town is is uh, a little bit easier it's more comfortable 
But this woman intentionally went to go get water in the middle of the day so she avoided seeing anybody. And she was really trying to keep to herself the best that she could. But Jesus, he intentionally wanted to meet her and talk to her. Okay? It says in today's passage, in John chapter 4, verse 4, uh, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Okay? He had to go through Samaria and he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. And this is where this woman uh, lived, okay, in the town of Sychar. Now, when I first um, read this passage and, and preached from this passage, when I was uh, a young, naive, arrogant pastor, uh, I thought I knew everything, okay? So I preached from this passage with confidence, right, and arrogance. Um, and I th thought I knew everything I knew uh, there was to know about this Samaritan woman. Now, um, I used to assume that maybe this woman was a flirt, okay? Maybe she, you know, uh, enjoyed the company of men. Uh, maybe she was a gold digger, right? And I used to make all these kinds of assumptions about this woman, very much like her culture did with her. Now, the fact is, she was with... Uh, she did have several husbands in her past, okay? And the first assumption that you might make is that she married them for their money or she um, intentionally sought out older men so that they would die quickly and so that she could inherit their wealth. But now that I'm 41, I'm older, and I'm slower, uh, in, I'm slower in every way, <laughs> But I'm also slower, uh, thankfully, um, I'm slower to judge. And I'm beginning to question uh, my initial judgments I had about this woman when I was younger. I'm realizing more and more that I don't know this Samaritan woman like I thought I did. Now here are some dubious facts that we know about her based on what Jesus said about her. Okay, The most obvious thing that we know about her is that she is a Samaritan. Um, we don't even know this woman's name. We don't know her family background. We don't even know if she has a job, okay? But uh, the fact that she's given this moniker, uh, Samaritan woman, because she's uh, a Samaritan is actually very significant. You see, the Jews in the first century really looked down on anyone who was a Samaritan. They were racist, okay, to put it frankly, okay? They were racist against Samaritan people. And the reason for this was because the Samaritans kind of have a tainted past. Uh, you can look this up for yourself if you want in the Old Testament in uh, 2 Kings chapter 17. But it all started in 8th century BC when the Assyrian Empire settled in the area uh, known as Samaria uh, in the first century. And during this time, Assyrians intermingled with many of the Jews who lived there, so much so that these uh, Assyrian men uh, impregnated many Jewish women, okay? And uh, they did it so often that eventually they kind of created this new race of people uh, whom uh, the, the first century Jews called Samaritans. So over the course of many, many centuries of this happening, um, they, they lost their sense of identity. So the Samaritans lost their sense of identity, both ethnically and spiritually, they stopped becoming 
monotheists and became polytheists, okay? They worshipped many gods just like the Assyrians did. And they kind of uh, forgot about their Jewish heritage, okay? And so uh, because of this kind of tainted history, uh, the Jews really looked down on the Samaritans that they would avoid them at all costs. Okay, so even though um, if, if they're traveling from like the northern region of like Galilee down to the southern region of like Judea uh, and Samaria was right in the middle, they wouldn't go through Samaria. They would go around Samaria to either the north or the south. And this is how much they looked down and despised Samaritans. Um, but this Samaritan woman... Uh, in today's passage, this Samaritan woman actually considered herself a Jew. Okay, religiously, she considered herself a Jew. According to verses 19 and 20, the Samaritan woman was uh, really well versed in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. And the text that the Jews still consider the most sacred scriptures even today, okay? Now, this reveals something very insightful about this Samaritan woman's personal belief. Even though she was a Samaritan ethnically, she considered herself a Jew religiously. How do we know this? It's because she refers to the ancestor Jacob, the Jewish ancestor Jacob, as her father, okay? Her religious father. And according to the book of Genesis, Jacob was Abraham's grandson and God changed changed. Jacob's name to Israel because he eventually became the father of the Jews. All right. So while most Samaritans were pagans, um, you know, meaning they believed in many gods, this woman was a monotheist and she believed in one God uh, and considered herself Jewish in her spirituality. Uh, but she was not necessarily in the most um, nurturing environment for her faith. Uh, her monotheistic faith could not really thrive in Samaria, where she was surrounded by pagans. Uh, yet in her heart, she believed uh, in one God and, in, and she tried to live accordingly to the ways of the Torah. Now, the other thing that we know about her based on Jesus' statements in verses 17 and 18 is that she has had five husbands. Okay, she has had five husbands. Now, do we know why she has had so many husbands? Many New Testament scholars uh, assumed that it was because she was a serial divorcee or a woman who sought after older husbands, hoping that they would die and she would inherit their wealth. But that could also be kind of uh, presumptuous. We don't really, if, if we're really honest about this woman, we don't really know her motives or her intentions. Jesus simply made the statement that the Samaritan woman has had five husbands and we don't really know what happened to them, okay? They might have left her because, um, you know, maybe they had, you know, they were of different faith or maybe they were trying to compromise her values uh, or maybe she actually did divorce them because Maybe they were abusive, okay? But we don't really know exactly why um, she ended up uh, separating from all of these men. And if you actually pay attention to what Jesus said to her and how he said it, 
he's actually not judging her. He simply tells her her history without making a judgmental statement. Okay, he's simply telling her the facts about her, her life, her past. So, but still, her, her reputation kind of like preceded her. And so she, that's why she was going to the well uh, in the middle of the day when it was the hottest time of day, trying to avoid all these people. Okay, so she is the Samaritan woman um, who had five husbands. And he had, she has this kind of reputation that people uh, assumed about her. And also, she comes from a Samaritan people, which also has a tainted past. So she's this woman with this tainted past of a people with a tainted past. And so really, for her entire life, she lived in this marginalized space. She was marginalized her entire life, okay? Which is why we're concluding this liminal series with the story of this Samaritan woman. Now, again, like I said, like Jesus, if you really, really pay attention to what Jesus said, um, he wasn't actually judging her, okay? He was simply stating the facts that she actually did have all these previous husbands, okay? And the current person that she was with is not her husband, okay? And he, he's not judging her by any means, okay? He's really simply just stating the facts about her life. And that tells us really something uh, interesting about Jesus um, and his approach to people with a past. Jesus doesn't condemn us for our past. Jesus doesn't condemn us for our past. If he did, we would all be screwed, okay? Jesus, he's aware of our past, okay? He knows everything about us. He knows all the ways that we've been hurt. He knows all the ways that we've hurt other people. He knows all the stupid mistakes that we've made, okay? And, you know, what I shared earlier about my issues with sleep, um, Jesus knows why I struggle with those things, okay? Uh, he knows that I had uh, a really rocky childhood and that late at night was kind of the most anxious times of my childhood and teenage years growing up, which is why I have so many struggles with it now, deeply embedded in me. And that's kind of why I have some of the bad habits that I do still. And yet, Jesus doesn't condemn me for that. And he knows that I have to get over it, okay? Which is why at the very end of today's passage in, in his interaction with the woman, Jesus like encourages her uh, to sin no longer, all right? He knows about her past, yet he still wants her to be healthier, to live a better life, okay? Likewise with me, he knows why I struggle with the things that I struggle with, okay? And a lot of it is deeply embedded in me from uh, past wounds and past hurts and past mistakes that I've made. But he still wants me to be healthier, okay? And he still wants me to live a fuller life and live a better life. In more ways than one, though, Jesus was at, even able to relate with this woman, okay? He's able to relate with this Samaritan woman. Many people thought they knew Jesus based on uh, a lot of the rumors that were spread about him, okay? In many ways, uh, just like this woman's reputation preceded her, 
Jesus' reputation preceded him, and people started making all these assumptions about Jesus, so he is familiar with being the victim of gossip, right? Uh, just think about his, like, upbringing, okay? Just think about his, the way he was born, okay? Uh, instead of being born to a respectful, kind of a regal family, he was born to uh, a carpenter and a teenage mother, all right? And his mother, Mary, got pregnant before she was even married. And instead of saying that she got knocked up by another man or her fiancé, Joseph, uh, she said she got knocked up by God. <laughs> And um, instead of being born into a, a clean, sterile home, uh, surrounded by family members and respectable people, Jesus was born most likely in a cave uh, and placed in a feeding trough and surrounded by dirty, filthy animals. And instead of being um, uh, born uh, uh, in a prestigious city like Jerusalem, he was, born, uh, he was raised in an insignificant town called Nazareth, okay, where it was really not famous for anything okay, besides like the poor. So Jesus was um, not uh, from a well-known family. Okay? He was not a disciple of any well-known rabbi at the time. And he was not even formally educated by, uh, a, in a famous Jewish temple. Okay, he was kind of like self-taught, okay, and, uh, and, and uh, he, he learned from uh, different people along the way and, just, uh, and also just taught himself by studying scripture on his own. By the world's standards, Jesus had very little credibility to be a rabbi, let alone the savior of the world. And, but he didn't let his past define him. Okay, Jesus didn't let his past define him. And that's the other thing that we learn about this passage. Jesus doesn't allow our past to define you. Jesus doesn't allow our past to define you. He knows what your past looks like. Okay, just like he knew what this woman's past looked like. He knows what kind of struggles you had and currently have. Yet he does not allow these things to define you. I'm recording today, uh, um, or I'm live streaming today from uh, this garden, this wonderful garden at uh, the hospital where I am currently a chaplain. Um, and I'm only here like a couple days a week, right? I still focus on like church stuff and uh, family stuff um, most of the week. But when I am doing my chaplain visits, um, especially those who are struggling with a lot of like mental health issues, a lot of them are so, uh, a lot of the patients uh, that I visit are so, they feel so much shame and guilt for their past and a lot of them can't forgive themselves, okay? Um, they know that Jesus forgives them but uh, a lot of them can't forgive themselves and, and Maybe some of them try to forget some of the mistakes or some of the past hurts from their past. But uh, if you just try to sweep it under the rug, okay, so to speak, it's still there, right? It's still there and it'll, it'll come out in other ways. And oftentimes people end up 
uh, overeating or uh, not taking care of themselves, uh, over like over drinking or maybe even um, getting into some drug problems because of these like past wounds or mistakes that they've made. And in many ways, these past wounds, these mistakes have shaped a lot of our identity when we don't let God do the healing process, okay? We have to confront these pains and these wounds. And when we ignore them, um, they don't go away, okay? Uh, but the beautiful thing about these hurts that we have is that Jesus doesn't define us by these wounds. However, we have to confront them, okay? We have to confront these wounds that we have Okay, for example, let's say you get a really, really bad cut on your arm, okay? It's like a deep cut, okay? And um, it's at the risk of, <clears throat> of being infected. If you just pretend like you never got that cut, okay? If you, if you just pretend like you never got that injury and you don't treat it properly, it's just going to get worse. It's going to get infected and, it, and that infection might spread and... It could just get worse and worse, and for sure it'll leave a permanent scar, but it might spread and affect other parts of your body. And here's the last thing that we uh, can learn from this example of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Deeper wounds often require more time to heal. Deeper wounds often require more time to heal. So if you have a past hurt, if, if you have a mistake from your history that uh, you haven't really gotten over, it's like a huge mistake that you've made, it's okay, okay? Because the bigger the wound, the bigger the, <laughs> pardon my language, but the bigger the F up, <laughs> the more time it'll require for it to heal. Yes, you may forgive yourself for that, Okay, or maybe other, you've hurt other people and maybe they've forgiven you. But it might still take longer to heal from uh, that mistake. We cannot run away from our emotions. Okay? Uh, as basic and almost elementary as this sounds, we have to feel our emotions. We have to feel it. Don't hide from it. Don't run away from it and don't ignore them. Don't ignore your feelings. A lot of what it means to be healthy spiritually is to be fully present. It's to live in the present, to be fully present. There's this great quote that I came across um, from an author. His name is Jean-Pierre de Cossade. And uh, it comes from the sacrament of the present moment. And he says this, The present moment holds infinite riches beyond your wildest dreams, but you will only enjoy them to the extent of your faith and love. The more a soul loves, the more it longs, the more it hopes, the more it finds. The will of God is manifest in each moment an immense ocean which only the heart fathoms insofar as it overflows with faith 
trust and love. Isn't that beautiful? Really, if you think about it, healthy spirituality, what healthy spirituality actually looks like is living in the present. Feel those feelings. If you're sad, don't run away from it. Okay? Uh, it, we live in this toxic Western culture that teaches us, that indoctrinates us to always be happy and pursue that for the rest of your life. Okay? That is not what healthy spirituality looks like. Okay? In many ways, that's immature spirituality. That's kind of like childish. Okay? It's like a child always wanting to play with things, always wanting to be happy all the time and you know, never be sad, never be, never be scared and never get angry. That's actually not what healthy spirituality looks like. If you see injustice happening in your world or maybe right before you, we're supposed to get angry. That's what healthy spirituality looks like. Okay? If, if um, someone you love is going through uh, something very, very difficult, a painful situation, and that makes you sad because you empathize with that person, that's healthy spirituality. That's what healthy spirituality is supposed to look like. And likewise, if a family member is celebrating something uh, like a milestone in his or her life and you're celebrating with that person, that's what healthy spirituality looks like. And when Jesus Christ was present with this woman at the well and he was looking at her past, but he was still very much present with her, showing compassion to her and showing love to her in that present moment without judgment, without condemnation, and really affirming her identity as a precious child of God, he modeled for us what healthy spirituality looks like. When you're with other people, be fully present with them, especially now that we're getting out of this COVID lockdown pretty soon. Be present with people. When they're sad, be sad with them, okay? Don't rush through those feelings, okay? When you see something, injustice happening, okay, get angry and do something about it, okay? If it's especially if it's happening right in front of you, do something about it. That's what healthy spirituality looks like. And when people are celebrating around you because of a, a joyous occasion, celebrate with them. That is what healthy spirituality looks like. And thank God that Jesus doesn't condemn us for our past, that He doesn't identify us uh, by our past, and He gives us the grace to heal from deeper wounds, and He, he allows us time, and He doesn't rush us through those feelings, just like He didn't rush His time with this woman. He made her feel like she was the most important woman in the world at the time when the rest of the world around her was trying to ignore her. When Jesus is present with you, you are the, the most important person to Him. This is why He gives us the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, she is with us all the time, whispering to us, guiding us, and leading us. 
we just have to be able to pay attention and live in the present moment with her all the time. We all need this kind of attention from God, okay? The kind of attention that this woman at the well received. I invite you to open yourself up, open up your heart, open up your spirit to the Holy Spirit and allow her to guide you, to, to speak to you, and to allow you to live in each and every present moment the best that you can, for this is where we find healthy spirituality. Instead of closing in prayer, I'm going to leave this open and uh, leave a few minutes for you to reflect, to pray, to meditate, and use this time to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Have a blessed week.